0: And welcome to Nonstop Rock Talk. Great to have you on the show today. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: No problem. Um, I, before we kind of get to the music, I, I want to kind of start off by asking, and I was reading this in your bio, uh, your introduction into playing guitar, which I thought was really cool. And it was Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've actually ever heard of someone becoming proficient at Guitar Hero and then taking up the guitar. I'm sure it's happened, but obviously I'm being really good at guitar. That's kind of an interesting story. Can you kind of enlighten me a little bit more on that?
1: Yeah. So what happened was, uh, you know, Guitar Hero came out. It was probably mid-2000s, you know, 2008 area. I was in in middle school. I got really good at it. And to the point where I would walk around my house and, you know, do the dishes or whatever. And I'm playing the song without looking at the TV. Oh, wow. So I, I was actually learning the song, you know, in a way, but only on the five buttons. Yeah. And so my dad noticed this and I was doing that more often than not. And so he pulled me aside one day. And I think I was probably playing the game, too, at the same time. He's like, so would you want to play guitar or is this just like, you know, do you just like the game? And I was like, well, you know, I I guess if I had a guitar, I might pick it up. But, you know, I don't have the money for that right now. And, and where are we going to get one? And so he was like, oh, OK. And that was the, kind of the end of our conversation. And then the next day he called his friend and asked him if he could borrow a guitar from him, because he knew that he had a few. And his buddy goes, okay, well, what's what's going on? And so my dad told him he's getting too good at this game, da 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 And he goes, oh, okay, well, come over to my mom's house, and I'll show you the guitar that I learned on. And that was actually that flying bee that's in the video. That's cool. And I was only supposed to have borrowed that guitar for about five months just to learn the." basics and then you know maybe buy another one if i'm still interested and i've had the guitar for going on 10 years now wow and so thankfully the guy's been super cool about letting me jam on it and uh
0: yeah i'm having a lot of fun that's cool so did you put down guitar hero after that
1: yeah i go back to it every once in a while like um a couple of years ago I, I really i messed myself up i was skateboarding. Um in the early AM with some friends and yeah. tripped and fell and so I broke my arm oh, so. and I couldn't play guitar for like two weeks. And so in order to get my music fixed, I busted out Guitar Hero and the guys who I would normally jam with, I just had them come over and please play Guitar Hero.
0: That's cool, man. That's very cool. So now that leads me kinda of into my next question. So so now you've you know you've 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 picked up the guitar and you start playing. Now who was kind of influencing you at that time? And then, I mean, we can elaborate too on who your influences are over that 10-year period as well. I mean, because sometimes, you know, you you gain more influences, right?
1: Yeah. So when I picked up the guitar, the very first song that I remember learning, and my mom probably knows what the actual first song was, but to my knowledge, it was um, ACDC's TNT. I looked it up on YouTube, and... I I just love that song and it was very easy. I saw some dude with a goatee teaching it, and I'm a very visual learner. Yes. and so I picked that up, and then I went from AC/DC, Bon Scott, to Brian Johnson era, and then into Kiss and Dio and all the you know the classic rock kind of power chord, heavy in your face style music. And then I was in Guitar Center one day just jamming to some backing tracks. And this is probably a couple of years into me learning how to play the guitar. Yeah. And this kid walks into the room and he plugs in his guitar and starts jamming over the the, uh, the song backing track that I had loaded up. And at the time, I was very like self-conscious of, you know, I knew I didn't know how to play the guitar that well, yeah. but I knew enough to have fun. And then this kid walks in and totally just blows my mind at how good he is. And so, we exchanged numbers, we started hanging out and jamming, and then he took me to my very first blues jam up in Folsom, California. And from there on, that's how I discovered my love for blues, because I I was just watching all these phenomenal players playing, you know, just pride and joy and whatnot, but from an outsider coming in and learning music, it was just like love at first sight. And so then I started really delving into, you know, like Stevie and... Johnny Winter, B.B. King, Joe Bonamassa, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, John Mayer, and like Robin Trower and all that stuff. Wow. And so that's kind of how I've learned, you know, just listening to those records and watching them live and all that stuff on YouTube.
0: Yeah, that, that that's kind of interesting that you kind of started with like the, you know, the classic rock stuff that, you know, like your ACDCs and KISS and stuff like that. But then you kind of, It evolved into the blues. That's kind of, that's, that's a really cool thing. (laughs) Thank you. It's very cool. And and I think that it's really amazing that at 16, you and four other kids were chosen to go to Europe with the blues kids of America. Kind of tell me about that experience.
1: So when we heard of the blues kids of America, I I have to back up a little bit and kind of explain where we were as far as my parents and myself. Um, At the time, We were just trying to get out of the Sacramento area in like really kind of any capacity because it was to the point where at blues jams, I was starting to really hold my ground. I was starting to sing a little bit and I was doing some gigs here and there with uh, my first iteration of my band. And so my mom was looking up, you know, either guitar sponsorships or like little festivals and stuff like that. And she came across this website called the Blues Kids of America. And that is put on by this amazing dude. He's just one of the nicest guys I've ever met next to Frank. His name is Fernando Jones, and he's based out of Chicago. And the website, when we found it, Chicago had just been filled up, and L.A., uh, the blues camp there, had just ended the day of finding uh, out what this program was. And the next one that they were putting on was in London, England. And my mom said, hey, you got to audition for this, this thing. It's in London, England. We got to go. And I was like, mom, are you nuts? That's in a different country. I, I've never even been on an airplane. She's like, just do it. And so we went back and forth a bunch of times. And eventually uh, she talked me into it. And so I um, cranked up my dad's home theater system that was designed to be put in a nightclub back in the 80s and it still worked up until I got a hold of it (laughs) and on the website it gave you a bunch of backing tracks to audition with and another page was songs that were already um you know like by major artist bb king and all that stuff and I had just been jamming to the thrills gone by bb king and that just happened to be on the website. And so I took out my little Tascam recorder that's $100, and I put it on a chair in between my amp, which is a half stack from the 70s, like just like Johnny Winters. And I cranked that all the way up, and I cranked my dad's theater system all the way up. And I played it in one take, you know, just really got into it. You should. I should have recorded the video. I was probably making some really funny faces. <laughs> but... uh <laughs> so I did that I put it on my laptop I sent it to the people first and then I sent it to my mom while she was at work because she was working uh, night shifts at the time and my mom was like oh that's really good Austin but do you think I know you can play better you know why don't you re-record it and send it I was like well I already sent it to them so if they like it they can have me if not you know it just wasn't meant to be and so by the time that my mom got home at midnight, they had sent us an email said, "Hey, we listened to your demo tape. We would really love to have you in London, England. We can reserve a spot for you if you can make it there." And then we were like, "Oh my god, now we got to now we got to get to London." And so we we had no idea how we were even going to pull it off, and right around that time I was being mentored by Ike Turner's first daughter, Twana Turner, and this is from his first marriage before I can Tina. That's cool. And so we told her, you know, this is the situation we got accepted. And she was like, Oh, well let's just put on a fundraiser for you up in, you know, up at that club in Penryn. And I was like, okay. So we did that. And the most amazing musicians, some of them that I had never even met before came up and raised money for me to go to London. And then we ran a GoFundMe and all that stuff. And we, had the money and had a blast going there. And it was really an interesting way to get acclimated to being in an airplane because I had never flown and I have, I still have a uh, little bit of a fear of heights if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> and so just sitting in there 30 or 13 hours, thankfully I had a TV in front of me. So I just watched Led Zeppelin the that's, whole time.
0: That's very cool. Yeah,
1: that's- but, but yeah, it was, it's a real experience going there and, and playing in bars and
0: stuff. That's, a, that's awesome. I, and you said 13 hours, and I was thinking, 13 hours? I'm in Toronto. And then it, and then I totally forgot. You're out in Sacramento, so it would be 13 hours. It kind of threw me for a loop there for a second. Because for, yeah. for me, I think it's like six, seven hours, right? Well, that's...
1: Yeah,
0: I, that sounds about right. No, that's cool. Um, so then, I mean, you also competed in a few other guitar competitions, one being the guitar slingers contest in Seattle, Washington. Um, that must've been quite the thing too. I actually watched the YouTube video this morning of that contest in Seattle and man, you smoked it. It was so killer. And I have to say, I love your vibrato. I mean, I was just like, as soon as there was like the first or second note, I was like, Oh wow, this this kid's really good. And I say kid because I'm, I'm in my 40s, so don't take offense to that. But... Uh, no, nah, it's all but, good. Uh, yeah, that was cool. Uh, what was that experience like?
1: Oh, man. So that was actually kind of... It, it wasn't really a stroke of, of luck. The guy who, who sent the um, audition to me, his name is Robert M. Knight, and if you don't know who he is, he was Led Zeppelin's very first photographer when they reached the state and Jimi Hendrix. When when Jimi Hendrix came to Hawaii, he actually arranged that with the venues at uh, Hawaii because that's where he grew up. And as a kid, he had befriended these venue owners. And he would have the top-charged records from London shipped to his house because he just loved it growing up. And he would talk to these guys like, hey, you need to get a hold of this this yeah. cat." Jimmy Hendrix, he's going to be huge. I'm telling you, and so he's got, he's still got um, on film, probably undeveloped. I would imagine tons and tons of footage of anybody who you can think of. Wow. And so that being said, he sent me this email and said, "Hey, um, these guys just hit me up, and they're looking for some Brotherhood kids to audition. And you know, it's for any category. You just send it out." and blues was one of them. There was like metal and rock and like classical instrumental. And so, me being more suited in the blues category, I made a little demo and put it on YouTube and sent it over. And it's the same kind of a situation, although this time it was put on by a billionaire up in Seattle and he was paying for everybody's flights and lodging. Wow. So when we got there, we had an extra day and everybody was telling us to go to this guitar shop called Emerald City Guitars. And I looked it up before I went there and Joe Bonamassa actually deals personally with the owner. The owner's name is Jay Boone. And when we got there, we were just talking shop and stuff. And we're like, oh yeah, we've met Joe Bonamassa before. And then as soon as we said that, the owner was like, oh, you like Joe, huh? And I was like, yeah. He's like, follow me and so we went into this room and he goes you've seen his amps that he plays on stage I said yeah he goes you want to plug into one I was like "Uh, oh, yeah no <laughs> and so he yeah I got to play Joe Bonamassa's 1961 or two Fender all-original fleet amp through a 1959 Strat and oh my god like, if I, I could have talked my parents into making a mortgage on the house dude <laughs> I would have walked away with it it just sounded incredible
0: Sounds Killer man that's a great story Um yeah did you did, did you manage to film that
1: Oh actually it is I can send it um I'll have to find the video but he did actually record me in his little mini series that he that's was doing um, on YouTube and I'm in one of the clips at the very end playing that setup, and it
0: just sounded so oh good. God. Did, so, so tell me, like okay, so you plug into this this amp and and guitar. What, what? did did you were you kind of nervous? You're like, what am I gonna play?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. There's I was playing some Steve Raybon stuff and it, like rude mood and all that and. I think that's more of like the bloopers that they have. But once I really just started getting out of my head, so to speak, and really just playing it, and that's what ended up on the video. And it was, I think I was probably playing like Lenny or something, but it's just, just, oh my God, man. Words cannot describe how good that sounded. And the day that we did that, was actually the same day as that competition which um, you see on the video on YouTube and that stage was specifically built for Heart. Oh, okay. For them to open up the um, the event center there and it was ginormous. The, the video screen, it, it looks big in yeah. the video but it was probably like, I want to say in between 100 to like 125 feet tall, it felt like at least. It was just so cool seeing everybody's names That's up there. Cool.
0: I was, I mean, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, there's other gear on the stage. There's a set of drums. Was that like for other performers that would be performing, or is that like for Heart? That gear that was on the
1: um, stage? What happened was so there was a back line, and then the drum kit that you see was that there was actually a headliner, okay. and I cannot remember his name, unfortunately. But he was a guy from, I think he was around, like, the Idaho area. And um, really good Hendrix vibe, and he ended with Buddha Child, and I was just blown away. And then, uh, yeah, I made some connections with uh, some friends there now. And uh, we actually jammed on, I don't know if you've seen it, because, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there. But the Zeppelin little virtual collab video that i put up the other guitarist is actually one of the kids that i met in seattle and he is based out of idaho and so you never know what's going to happen going to these things and that's why at the time we were we were just sending my stuff out there as much as possible Were you
0: i mean were you used to getting up on stage i guess maybe from doing the other stuff like for london and whatnot Getting up on stage and just playing guitar by yourself—did you, did you just, did you find that hard to do?
1: Not really, because when I was learning guitar, I would go to my local park in uh, up here in Sacramento, and I would plug in a backing track and I would noodle by myself. And you know, sometimes I would get families come by and compliment me and stuff like that. So I was used to the idea of jamming to backing tracks, and they had it cranked really loud, which also helped with getting the the emotion out of me. But obviously, um, playing with people is a a lot more fun. But yeah, I've I've always um, been comfortable playing with and without
0: That's funny because, I mean, when I'm watching it, that was my first thought. I'm like, I wonder if he's comfortable being up there by himself. Because some people aren't, right? If you're not used to it and, you know, like every eyes, all eyes are on you and you just got to do your thing. I mean, you, you you did a good job, so. Thank you. No problem. Um, so now that we've gotten all that background stuff out of the way, tell me about the Austin Moe experience.
1: So, the Oximo Experience, um, the band name has been around for a long time. And I've had the, the great pleasure of playing with some of the best um, rhythm sections up in Northern California. I've played with people who have been with some huge names. Like, obviously, um, one of them is one of Frank Hannon's personal drummers I've jammed with. Um, for a long time from his solo band. And another guy was in Lynch Mob for a couple of years. I got to play with him at a couple of gigs. And um, my current lineup that I'm playing with is the bass player I've known forever through schooling and stuff, and we've been friends for a long time. Uh, That's Spencer Olson. And the drummer that you see in the video of The River, his name is Stephen Martin, and he's opened up for people like Marilyn Manson and Zach Wilde and some pretty big names. Pretty oh, yeah. big names, and I've had the honor of playing with both of them for quite some time now.
0: That's cool. Um, do, you, do you recall who the, who was the drummer from Lachmaob?: I would probably I mean, I'm a Mop uh, so I may know who it is: Do you
1: rec- It was He went by Michael Froh. I think I do.: He was a left-handed drummer. He was amazing. He was on four, three or four of their albums. Okay. I can't yeah i don't remember which ones off the top of my head but he jammed with us when we opened up for frank last december and it was just
0: the the drums that he had were just Uh, (laughs) fast it was great awesome i mean i i think the i remember frank's first solo album which i have um what what the hell was it called guitars from mars maybe I can't remember i'll have to pull it in. i think so that's one uh, of them i, I know that. that was i think that was the first one and frank actually signed it for me i got to meet him briefly for how to tesla show up here in canada uh they were doing it. Uh, yeah it was. was he was a, he was a super super nice guy it was such an honor to meet him because i love frank's playing um hey, frank, he's just an amazing musician which which kind of brings me to frank um he's producing your album i believe um i I'm not sure how much of a Tesla fan you are, but as I mentioned, for me as a musician, guitar player myself, that, I mean, that would be quite an experience. Um, I've been a Tesla fan since 86. I guess I'm showing my age a little bit. But um, how did you initially meet up with Frank?
1: Well, when I met Frank, I actually... Uh, So it was my 21st birthday week, and my family friend surprised me with tickets to see Tesla at our local casino up here in California. And I think it was their, it was some anniversary tour. I don't remember which one. And so I wanted to surprise my friend with the possibility of meeting Frank, because he's seen them since they were city kids and they would run out little 200 yeah. 300 people ballrooms and they would just have a blast so i shot frank a message on facebook and it, it being sacramento and that's where they're based out of i wasn't really expecting him to get back to me because i can imagine there's hundreds and hundreds of people that know him personally that you know are trying to get backstage and say hi and stuff so I said, him a real polite, you know, hi, my name is Austin Morgan, blah, blah, blah. I'm turning 21. And my friend has been a fan of you guys since you were city kid. Can we please just come and say hello? And then we'll be out of your hair. And I didn't hear anything for a couple of hours. And so I just figured, oh, you know, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And then I got a ding the next morning and it was Frank. And he goes, hey, man, thanks for reaching out. How many backstage passes would you like? And I was no like, way. holy crap. I was like, uh, two please. And he was like, yeah, just send me your information and you can come to the show and just hang out. And so we got there and the show hadn't started yet. So we went backstage and we couldn't find any of the guys because I think the meet and greet had just happened. And so they were, um, in their, you know, dressing rooms, getting ready and whatnot. And so we went back to our seats. We're watching the opener and I get a text message and I'm like, who's texting me on Friday night? Uh, all my friends know where I'm at. And I check my phone and it's Frank. And he's like, hey, man, are you at the concert? No way. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, man, I'm at the concert. You know, we went backstage, da, da, da. He was like, oh, oh, yeah, sorry about that. We're in our trailer. Here, I'm going to send one of my guys out. Are you at the front gate? And I was like, yeah, we are. And he's like, yeah, just, just one minute, man. Um, let me go send, I don't even remember the guy's name. We'll call him Jeff. <laughs> let me go send Jeff out real quick. And so Jeff, as he is now known, uh, came and got us and we hung out with Frank for probably like 20, 25 minutes. And it was just a surreal experience. It still trips me out that I've gone up to his studio, his personal studio, and recorded up there. I've almost gotten warmed up to the fact of it, but not quite yet.
0: That's another amazing story, man. That's very, that's very cool. And for him, I mean, for Frank to just be such a cool guy and to do that for you, that's pretty awesome, man. That is awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. Frank, Frank's a saint, man. I mean, even without like the music and stuff, just personality-wise, he's such a good guy.
0: Yeah, I remember it, it was funny how I actually got to meet him was he was we were on the street outside the venue, and all of a sudden he's out on the street, and people are just walking by, and he's like cracking jokes, and He's just like, hey, man, how you doing? And I had a bunch of stuff like that Guitars for Mars album. Oh I got him to sign that for me. And he, he stood there and talked to us for a little bit. And this is long before I was doing this podcast thing and everything. This, was, this probably goes back 10, 15 years. But like that, I mean, just meeting him like that and just him just being such a cool guy was, was pretty awesome and having been a Tesla fan for so long. So, so that's awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. It sounds like it must have been a great show.
0: It was. It was. Um, I think it was uh, Tommy Schiacci's last tour, too, which was... Oh. Yeah, so...
1: So that was probably around 2003,
0: 2004. Yeah, right? it was around that. You're right. And I just... You know what? It's funny. I just read Brian Wheat's book. I got an advanced copy of that, and um, the bass player, and he's supposed to come on my show next week. So I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, that's And the cool. book was really good. Yeah, really we- good, by the way. <laughs> We actually, um, sorry to cut you off. No,
1: that's okay. But um, speaking of speaking of Brian, we actually cut um, our last single at his studio, uh, J Street Recorders, yep. up in Sacramento. Yep. And uh, that, and just walking into there, knowing and seeing all these pictures of him and like hanging out with Jimmy Page and yeah, stuff. Jimmy
0: Page is his good friend. Oh man! It's, it's just like, like a, that like blew me away in the book point. when he's like, "Yeah, Jimmy Page," and it was, it was like, like, "What? Wow."
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, that was that's pretty cool. And he talks; he actually talks about that studio quite a bit in the book and the house that he lives in, that he has in Sacramento. I guess he's sounds like he's moved to New York as well. He's got a place in New York. He was in Texas. He's all over the place. But uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty cool. He got to go there too. Yeah. Um. So let's talk. Let's talk about the river. Um. Love the, love okay. the song. The tone of that dope that dobro do. slide guitar captures you right away, and then I love the tone of your, your electric of the electric guitar as well. Um Huge chorus, very infectious, has a really bluesy seventies vibe. Tell me a bit about that song. So the way
1: that that transpired was I. I went up to Frank's house. This is right after we opened for him uh, at this local venue that's called the Boardwalk up here in Sacramento. And we did that show. It was really great. And so we kept in touch and he was talking to me about writing originals and he wanted me to come up and just show him some ideas. And so I came up with a little notebook and my, my voice recordings that I had on my yep. phone and we looked through a bunch of them and there were some, some good ones and some that we just kinda of skipped on and when we were just hanging out, uh I I wasn't thinking and I just played the intro to the river, but it just, you know, letting my hands do their thing and Frank goes, Hey, 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 what's that? And I said, What, this? And he goes, Yeah, what what is that? And I was like, uh, I don't know, I just came up with it. He's like, Good, let's work on that. Really? And so then, yeah, it was just by accident really that it came out and we were all just in the right time, in the right space. And so then he goes, well, what lyrics do you have? I said, well, I have this. And the lyrics, the way that they were arranged the first time was, the chorus was the intro, and what is now the first verse was the chorus. And so I was, I was trying to like come up with something, and Frank was reading it, and he goes, you know, this, th- these words kind of look more like a chorus to me, so let's try something. And he picked up an acoustic. And he was just jamming, and he goes, I'm going down to the river. And I was like, Frank, that sounds great, dude. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, you wrote it. I was like, (laughs) I mean, I guess, but... And so we were just bouncing ideas off of each other, and we really busted out the song arrangement in one day. It was probably like a five or six-hour little session. (laughs) And then throughout the week, we kind of finalized like some words on the... The lyrics, like there's one part where it says, he he crushed my disease with his hands. And the original one was, I crushed my disease with my hands. And so we were just trying to figure out what kind of message we wanted to send from the song. And the more that we were reading into the lyrics, the more that we were like, you know, this kind of of like uh, more of like a religious vibe than this is about me, you know, overcoming my demons. And so we went that direction, and I think it, it really came out with the video especially because the vibe that I wanted to um, portray was, uh, and I was raised a Christian myself in, in the church and yeah. stuff, and so with this song, I wanted it to, I wanted people to take away that through God, and there is wisdom and hope when there's times of difficulty like right now with COVID-19 a lot of people have either been you know out of a job or on some form of government aid in some times of this year and so that's kind of what I wanted to tell people with a really good you know rock and blues vibe but not super direct because I know just in in my own personal experience when I've heard Like, overtly, this is a Christian song. Sometimes it turns me off just as a a listener. And so our goal was for the video to kind of help with that message and for the song to be just enough, you know, religion and rock and roll to where even if you're not that kind of um, person, you'll still want to listen to it on repeat. And then maybe, you know... You, know, the person will realize, hey, maybe I should try this yeah. Christian thing out. Oh,
0: that's you know? cool, man! That's awesome. That's <laughs> a great message. Um, what I did, and I, I forgot this. As I, I mean, as I was reading through my notes here, I will say about the song. It sounds very mature. Like I don't know if you take that as a compliment or, but it, it to me, it sounds. It's like you're you're twenty three, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah, and it, to me, it sounds like it's beyond. I, I mean, there's there's something wise to it. You know what I mean? Which which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't know if you think that's cool, but for me, I do. As a listener, I'm just like, man, this. I wouldn't guess how old you were, to be honest with you. Thank yeah, <laughs> you. Which is, I I think that's a cool thing, but you know, you you may take it otherwise. But don't don't take that as an insult. It's it's just a really cool song. I really dig the tune and. uh Is very well done. And now is there, you guys are working, you are working on a full length album.
1: You know, right now we're, we're in the process of looking through um, the songs that I have been creating on uh, the off time in between us doing the music video for the river and when we were writing it. And so in between that kind of space, I was also going up to Frank's house and he was mentoring me on how to write songs. And some of the things that he taught me was like, when they were writing Modern Day Cowboy, the chorus was nothing like how it turned out on on the record on them, the Mechanical Resonance. They had it a very big, you know, modern day cowboy kind of vibe. And so he told me what one of the producers told them, which was, hey guys, this is really good, but that chorus, try putting... The verse chords under it, and then maybe add like I don't know. He said, and don't take this verbatim because it it could be an incorrect voicing, but like an added ninth, added ninth or seventh, whatever that means. (laughs) And so they did that, and they came back to the producer, and he was like, "Yeah, that's that's the kind of vibe that we're looking for with this song." And so what he was trying to show me was sometimes a really big chorus might not be the way to resolve the song. Really? Yeah. In other words, like some songs like black Sabbath, for example, they have their choruses are very like one to three notes, kind of a riff more than a bunch
0: of chords. Huh. That's yeah. interesting. I think if I recall, Brian actually touches on that song somewhat in the book as well. Um, but I can't remember exactly what he said in terms of modern day cowboy. But he did say something about changes, and and uh, they he talks quite a bit about that first album, and you know because they they were you know they they were young and they you know that was their first time in the studio and they're working you know they've got Tom Zuton who is you know the 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 guy who discovered Molly Crue and Guns and Roses and Tesla as well and he's helping them with songwriting and I guess it was like I don't know if he told you this but in the book it states that it was like a two year process of them. Oh yeah. yeah, and that's it's just crazy, right? so that's uh that's pretty cool and it, and it's nice to hear that he's working that way with you as well like he's kind of he's kind of doing what someone else did for him, which I think is really cool as well yeah
1: yeah he's he's he told me all about that process. They went up to New York and stayed like right next to the studio and in what he called like a barn or something. Uh, frank told me and they would wake up work on the songs go to bed work on the songs you know for i think it was upwards of a year like time and
0: then they went into the studio and workshopped it there for a while as well which would have been expensive you're in a studio but it is what it is right yeah (laughs) so i mean i watched another video on youtube from i guess it was from this past april of you playing live uh, the track was after the encore. Is that your song or is that a? It was that a cover? Uh, that is another one of our
1: cool. songs.
0: Yeah. Cool, and um, I mean, I noticed that you use TalkBox.
1: Oh yeah, you, yeah. I have
0: fun with that. I Like to see that. I I have a, I use TalkBox too. Like when I was.
1: Oh yeah, I love it. I actually, I. I was um, opening up for Eric Gales. I'm not sure if you're
0: familiar with his no, work. A whole lot, no, sorry.
1: But but he is um, much in the same kind of playing style as Joe Bonamassa yeah. and stuff. And I got to open for him in Vallejo, California. I believe it's now two years ago. And the CEO, the current CEO of Dunlop Guitar Products, was sitting literally right at the front of the yeah. stage, and I had no idea. And it was for the better that I had no idea because I was really working the crowd and stuff and just having a great time opening up because Eric is another one of my guitar idols. So after my set on the intermission, my friend, uh, we call him J-Dog. He walks up and he goes, Hey man, do you want to meet Jimmy Dunlop? I was like, senior. And he's like, and he's like, no, he, he, he just watched your whole set. I was like, no way. He was like, yeah, we got to go get you endorsed. And so I, I, walked over. I introduced myself uh, as, along with J-Dog telling Jimmy who I was, and they're really good pals. And so Dunlop asked me, he's like, hey, man, do you use any of my products? And I was like, yeah, I got two, two Wap-Els, Slide, yeah. you know, and he's like, oh, okay, well, here's my phone number and uh, call me in a couple of days and I'll send you my artist rep because you're really good and I'd like to endorse you. And I was like, this cannot be wow. happening. That is so uh, cool. Wicked, man. And so... So they they sent me all this information and they were like okay well you can pick out a couple of pedals as well as we'll send you strings and all this stuff and so one of them was a talk box of course because I love Peter Frampton yeah. and another one was a, a slash octave fuzz which can go down and up like a like the Hendrix Octavio cool. as well and so. After that, I just had to learn. Everything comes alive. Do you feel like we do? I mean,
0: that's that's yeah, a yeah, given. That is, that is a total given. That's that awesome, yeah. man. I'm I'm trying to think. My talk box is a begins with an H. I haven't looked at it in so long. Maybe it is made by Dunlop. I don't know. I can't remember. I've had it for like almost 20 years. So I don't, I don't think, think it'll it, ever. I don't think oh, it's wow. ever going to die.
1: <laughs> no, those things are built really freaking hard, yeah, man. Are. I
0: mean, it's not it's not a dainty pedal whatsoever. No, it's definitely not. And it's like, it's got a ton of weight to it too, right? It's like, holy cow. It's like, man, I can't... I mean, for yeah. something so small for what it does, I can't believe it weighs this much. It's cool though. And it's funny because, I mean, I put in my notes here too, I was like, TalkBox is like the saxophone as well. It's kind of gone by the wayside in rock. Like, remember, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you've listened to 80s stuff with like, there's, there was saxophone in the eighties stuff like Bruce Springsteen and stuff like that and and then and oh, yeah. no one does that anymore and I always say that I was like there's no sax in rock rock isn't rock anymore it's not like blues based with like lots of instrumentation and different stuff going on it's just not as like you know like mainstream rock is what I mean it's just not as as right. Uh, there's not as much color to it anymore. It's just kind of like, ah, uh, it is what it is. Okay, that's a song. This is a song. Who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. So, so right. when I seen you how to talk boxer I was like, oh man, I like this kid already. This is awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you.
0: I, and, and it was funny. I also checked out your segment and you're speaking of Dunlop. So this is a good segue. I watched you open that box where you, I guess, your customized picks, man. What did that feel like? That must've been awesome.
1: You know, that's actually a pretty funny story because, um, that was this year. I believe it was. I'm pretty sure this year's felt like forever. But, um, I was, I was talking with the artist rep. Her name is Jody and we were shooting emails back and forth. And I was like, yeah, you know, um, I'd like to make some picks up because this is, before covid was really starting to affect people and the bars were still open and the clubs we had some dates and so i was like yeah you know get some pics all this and she was like yeah i'll send you a sample and if you like it you can get more and so i was like okay and then we didn't really correspond pretty much at all for a couple of months and then this random package shows up and that's the package that i opened up in the video and i was like holy cow don't that's that's a little bit more than a sample, man. And so I sent Jimmy a heartfelt thank you. And he is another dude who is just an incredible personality, really cares about the artist that he works with.
0: Oh, that's... I mean, it was a super... It was a cool video. And I loved that you were wearing a Kiss Duff Lepper t-shirt in the, as you're opening up. I oh, was yeah. Like, oh, now, that was from, That's cool, too. Dep- depending on which
1: kiss shirt it is, that was either my... 12th birthday from that from that concert tour or uh i think it was my 16th or 17th that i saw them again with uh, my folks and oh yeah kiss is the ultimate visual like overload hard rock band such a great thing oh, to I see. Agree.
0: um i, I saw, saw the reunion tour um with the first reunion tour with the all all four original guys. And that was Oh wow. That was cool, man. That was like mid probably like nineteen ninety-seven. And to be honest, it's Yeah,
1: hey, that was when I was born. <laughs> Sorry, <man. laughs>
0: but uh, honestly, awesome. um, it was the only time I've ever seen them. I have not seen any other lineup of KISS other than the original lineup. So I've never I, I mean, wow. I've never seen them with Tommy Thayer, I've never seen them with Eric Singer. Um and and like going back, Bruce Kulick, nothing like that. I've only ever seen that reunion tour, and
1: yeah, I'm jealous. Dude. Man, it was it was
0: insane. It was just like I can't believe this. This is Kiss, man. Like Kiss was for me too. It was Kiss was like the first rock band. I remember my brother, and he was like seven seven years older than me, and he was talking about Kiss, and and the first time I saw them, I was like. What the hell is that, man? This is so cool, and it just drew you in, right? So, so yeah. any any I see someone like who's a who's a Kiss fan, I got it. I have to talk about it. Um, but I have to ask, which era of the band do you like the best?
1: You know, I'm more of the Destroyer cool. kind of era. Uh, just that Detroit Rock I City mean- just opening riff, just. It sets you on fire, dude. You can't not headbang to it. I agree. And actually, I have a story about Kiss. Um, The very first time I went to NAMM, and for those of you listening who are unfamiliar with that term, it is basically a car show, but for musicians held in Los Angeles, California. It's anything that's everything that's coming out for music, period. And so my mom and I are flying into LAX. We just landed, and we're walking out of the terminal. And right past us, nobody was around, and it was like midday on a Wednesday. Right past us comes Paul Stanley and his entourage of people. And we walk past him, and we look at his, his uh, I don't know if it was his wife. I don't think it was. But she was responsible for him. It was evident. I looked at her, and I said, is that? And she just nodded her head like, It is. And we kept on walking, and my mom goes, do you want a picture with him? I was like, nah, he's probably already gone. She's like, no, 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 that wasn't the question. We're going to go get a picture with him. And so we ran back into the terminal, and he was standing there for a second, and we walked up. We're like, hi, you know, I'm a really big fan. Can I just get a really quick picture, and, and you know, I, I won't bother you. And he was like, yeah, what's your name? And so I told him, and he's like, do you play guitar? I was like, yeah, and he goes, well... Hopefully I'll be a fan of you one day. So, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: wow. Wow. That's that's pretty cool, man. And uh, have you ever, have you read yeah. his book?
1: You know, I've heard the audiobook versions it's on so YouTube.
0: Good. It was such a good read. It's, yeah. I mean, it,
1: Yeah,
0: it's, uh, it, it's an eye-opener. It it's, it's of of the, I've read a lot of those books. And his book and Joe Perry's are probably my favorites. I just thought, I just I, and you know what Brian Weets is probably on that list now because he did a really good job. It's a really good personal account of him as a person. Um, but that Paul Stanley book was it's phenomenal, and I, I have listened to some of that audio, and it was kind of kind. It's kind of cool to hear Paul recite it too, right?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely adds that extra dimension because the over text tonality it from the person writing you kind of yeah, lose it that's, you know and just hearing him with emphasizing certain things of oh yeah i was in the shower and then i come out and there's ace i'm like
0: that's pretty funny yeah, yeah and that's good i'm yeah because you get that expression right because when you when you read a book you're reading it it's in your head that voice but to actually hear that voice reading reading it to you i, I totally get what you're saying that's really awesome yeah, well, Austin, I want to thank you for joining me tonight, man. It was it was quite a pleasure. It was really good talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a and real. Honor. I look forward to seeing the full album and eventually, and uh, and hopefully, I will see you up here at some point, which would be amazing. So, right oh yeah,
1: on, yeah, you never know. We we might be
0: part for. Per- and her name here. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Okay, man. Well you enjoy your night and uh we'll talk hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Okay. You Thanks
1: too. Awesome. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now I've been